0: People are still dialing in, numbers climbing.
1: Okay. All right, well, why don't why don't we get started? Um, thank you everybody for joining us today. Um, it's been a long time uh, since we last did one of these. Uh, we've missed doing it. Uh, by the looks of the registration list, you guys might have missed the fact uh, that we've been doing it, um, but we're really excited to be back today. And I know, uh, especially Jason and I are very excited to be joined um, by our former employee screen IQ colleague uh, Kevin Bachman, so it's like getting the band back together. Um, really, really excited to talk about um, our outlook for 2021 um, and uh, and and what the industry has in store for 2021, um, rather than what 2021 has in store for the industry. I think uh, you know 2020 was a year that um, m- might have controlled all of us. I believe that we are getting ahead of that, and 2021 is going to be a year that our industry actually controls. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. A uh, couple of quick housekeeping notes. Uh, we are recording this presentation, so if you missed uh, the highlights and even a couple of the lowlights, uh, you'll always be able to go back. We're gonna email it to everybody at the time that we're done. And as I mentioned before, everybody is currently on mute. Um, and we'll stay that way throughout the presentation. If you do have questions, please use the Q&A panel and we'll get to those questions, as many of them as we possibly can. Um, and so I think uh, that's it. I, why don't we get started uh, with the uh, with the presentation? Okay, so today's panel, uh, I had already introduced uh, Kevin Bachman, Kevin uh, was uh, our head of operations at Employee Screen IQ, and now operates his own um, consulting company called the CRA Doctor. Uh, he is the CRA Doctor, um, and uh, and uh, he is joining us today from Rochester, New York. Um, of course, you are all familiar with Jason Morris. Um, he never forgets to remind you who he is. Uh, he's currently... <laughs> Uh, operating uh, Morris Group Consulting. And and lastly, uh, you know me, and I'm just who I always have been. Uh, Currently, um, I'm doing a couple of things right now. Um, I'm actually the chief marketing officer at SJV Data Solutions, and then also still doing some consulting of my own within the industry. Um, Hey, uh, really quickly, um, I thought that we would try something new during uh, the introduction time. And that is to give some shout outs within the industry for some really exciting news. Uh, Many of the CRAs that are on this call have been announcing over the last few months. Um, So Kevin, I'm gonna start with you. Um, Is there one company you wanna highlight or one uh, special event you wanna highlight?
2: Yeah, there is, you know, and, and none of us are, are getting paid for any of anything we're about to say. But uh, Inteligo Group out of Israel is is a shop that I, I know pretty well and um, have been following pretty closely. They're doing some really exciting things in the due diligence space, some high end investigative work. Um, you know, the, the kind of the kind of work that uh, it takes a lot of uh, time, energy, labor, investment dollars to kind of create a product around the higher end due diligence stuff. Um, and it's really, really cool from, from this side of the ocean to see some of the things that that they're doing to try and provide some of those solutions that um, a lot of the, the more traditional shops can't. So they're, they're an exciting shop and it's exciting to see where they're going to go.
1: Jason, go ahead.
0: Okay. And again, this is, this list is, you know, it's not everything that's happened in the last couple of months. It's just things that we're highlighting. So if there are things that you have coming out and you want to let us know about it for the next webinar, certainly shoot us an email. Uh, A company that I I continually admire uh, is InfoMart. Tammy and Marco have done just a great job and they've done a great job doing the thing that I've been writing about the most. And that's innovating. Um, You know, earlier in the pandemic, they came out with some really cool COVID tracking tools uh, for the workplace, uh, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, but recently, they've developed uh, something called a, a digital career wallet, which, you know, we've heard a lot of different startups and companies in the industry talking about doing uh, some things like this and doing blockchain and keeping your your verified uh, information uh, at, the, at the center of your wallet. Um, they've created one themselves. So uh, again, it's like any innovation, you have no idea where it's gonna go. I think it's a fantastic idea that's got a lot of opportunity. Um, so kudos to to Tammy and Marco and the Informart team for developing yet another product.
1: Yep, uh, kudos to both those companies. Uh, my shout out, I'm reserving less for product development and more for a big announcement. Um, I wanna congratulate uh, the folks over at Corporate Screening um, for announcing yesterday, I believe, that they had successfully negotiated a partnership with um, the group purchasing organization called uh, Premier Inc. And um, that should be a very nice deal for them. I wanna congratulate them and, um, and wish them the best of luck. Um, again, as we were saying before, uh, if you have interesting news that you want us to um, take a look at and, and, and share, um whether it be on social or uh, when we do these webinars please go ahead and forward us some information we'd always be happy to do it um, this is a non-exclusive uh, kind of deal uh, as we kind of see and hear about great news we'll shout it out as best we can and again our goal obviously is to see all of you succeed okay um so Kevin, do you want to lead off with the agenda?
2: Yeah I will and and you know Nick to your your point about uh, letting us know what's happening in in your world, and we get to talk about it. Um, those three companies we mentioned—that's kind of the prism with which we want to uh, attack today's conversation. You know, we're talking about organizations that are either doing new, different, exciting things, or organizations that are just doubling down and doing better um, at, at what has been their bread and butter. So, you know, kind of think of those organizations as you look inward and, and evaluate yours, given the conversation you're going to listen to. Um, you, you know, every time I speak, I, I always want to start by thanking the audience. You, you guys have no shortage of things to do and had a bunch of different choices with what to do with this hour of your lives. Now, if you've heard me speak before, you've heard me say that before. But if, you, if you're new and you haven't heard me speak before, you know, you you chose to give us that hour and and I we have great respect for that. We're really grateful for it. And in turn, we want this to be a valuable use of your time. You know, we want you to walk away with some meaningful insights, uh, three of us have made each other laugh for close to 20 years and we'll try and make you guys giggle a bit as two and uh, otherwise break up your day. So, you know, throw your ch- your questions at us in the chat box. Like Nick had said, we've also gotten a few in advance of this session. So uh, we're, we're going to we're gonna intersperse those throughout the conversation. Um, so what are we tackling today? You know, there, there's there's a lot the three of us want to talk about, but there aren't a lot of slides here. We're not going to PowerPoint anyone to death here. This is a conversation that three of us are going to have and we're each viewing this through our individual lens developed through our time in the industry. Um, you know, Jason, Jason's our futurist here. Um, he's at every PBSA trade show since the stone age. And he really takes that 30,000 foot, you know, what's going to happen in three to five years, who's buying who, how will the space how will the space you know, meaningfully and materially change? He, he's that kind of guy. Nick's the marketing guru, right? How, when and where to get your product and your message in front of your buyers. He's the Get neck deep into your business and help you craft winning messages and, and the marketing strategy to reach your target audience. I, I'm the here and now guy, how to run your business better, how to make a lot more money, how to develop and deploy the strategic ops and financial solutions to ensure your clients are a lot happier right now. My, my lens goes about 12, 18, 24 months um, unless you're preparing for an exit in a couple of years. So the three of us are gonna talk about some of these things through those lenses. You know, Who's going back to the office? More than you think, less than you think, how are roles and responsibilities gonna change? Get the jab, keep the job. It's gonna be a lot of debate, consternation, conversations, who requires it, who won't? How will that shake up not only your operations, but but your available talent? Vaccinations, there's a cottage industry sprouting up around vaccination and tracking services. We're going to discuss that more uh, new, new sheriff in town, unified democratic control of Washington. What might that mean for us? Who's buying, selling and investing, you know, on every conversation we have independently or together, we always have the industry chatter conversation. So what are we hearing? Um, you know, Nick, Jason, what, as we look this over, what are, what are you guys excited to discuss today? Nick. Okay.
1: So, you know, for me, um... I'm I'm really excited. I think the uh, potential uh, implications of uh, legislation uh, could be very interesting for the industry in 2021. Um, you know, uh, just a, a, a spoiler alert, I don't think that there is anything major coming, um, but I do see some things that I think could be interesting. Um, I'm also really interested in talking about how CRAs are getting back to work, um, you know, whether they're returning to the offices and things like that, so... I, I think that that's probably where I am looking forward to focusing my attention. Yeah.
0: What about you, For Jason? For me, it, me, it's probably more the strategy of you know, where, these, where CRAs and, and the supply chain want to be in a year two years or five years, uh, what that looks like from a private equity standpoint, uh, the consolidation that continues to happen in the industry. It always makes great change. Um, stuff like that. I'm, I'm really looking
2: forward to seeing uh, what the next couple of years look like. Yeah, great change uh, brings, brings about great opportunity. So For well sure. said. So Nick, you had a, you had a great segue because that's what we're going to tackle first. You know, what, what's the state of the workforce in the next 60, 120, 180 days? Um, you know, who is going back? I know some shops that never really left. I know some shops that have zero desire to be in a physical space right now. Some are going to be in the middle, and I think those shops are going to have some some difficult conversations with with their team members. Uh, Remote work, what are the things we got to think about? We're 12 months in. It's not a matter of just going to Best Buy, buying a laptop, and figuring it out later. Got to nail the data security, the information security. Uh, Nick, what, what do you see? What are you starting to hear about companies and whether they want to go back or whether they want to stay remote?
1: Yeah, so I've I've spoken with a a pretty diverse cross-section of of background screening companies on this topic, just trying to get a sense of what everybody's doing. Um, I would say, you know, there are fewer people going back into the offices than you think uh, might might be the case, Um, especially among the enterprise level organizations that I've spoken with. Um, They all seem to have adapted really well um, to remote work. Um, and I don't think any of them are really rushing to get back into the office anytime soon, certainly not for the next six months. Um, I even, and, and from a lot of what I hear with them too, much like the rest of the, the, the country, their office experience is going to change. Um, it's probably not going to be everybody in the office every single day. Um, I think that a lot of these companies have figured out in, in many ways, how to, Get work done effectively um, on a remote basis, and that they will use the office for things like collaborations and and things like yeah. that, but not a daily not a daily thing. Um, and as a result, I'm hearing a lot of companies talking about how they're renegotiating their their leases or they're moving office space. Um, I've even heard of a couple that are actually moving their company location altogether. Um, and, um, and and moving to an entirely different market. Um, so uh, I, I think uh, that it is going to be a, uh, a slower trickle trickle back into the office um, than people thought. Now, again, great news, people are getting vaccinated. That's awesome. That's another thing I actually spent a lot of time talking with people about as well. Um, will you require, employees to get vaccinated in order to come back into the office. And I will tell you that nobody that I've spoken with so far has said that they would want to tackle that issue right now. Um, they would not want to make it mandatory. I think many are sitting on the sidelines saying, hey, I want to see what other people do first. I'm not going to jump. Uh, Kevin, did you want to interject on that?
2: Yeah, and, and you're right. I think it's I think it's a matter of timing. Right, everybody's sitting on the sidelines yet because they can. Mm-hmm. I wonder, we're ninety days out. If they're going to change their mind, because I think it's as as much about what company leadership wants as company employees. Mm-hmm. Now we all have the luxury of saying we're not going to vaccinate or we don't know what we want to do. What happens when you're when seventy five percent of your shop is vaccinated, twenty five percent isn't? And much of that seventy-five percent is now uncomfortable working with somebody who hasn't gotten vaccinated. Yep, that's extremely interesting. And the three of us say it's interesting because we're no longer in those. Right. In those we don't chairs. have to make those decisions. We don't exactly. have to
1: navigate that anymore.
2: Um, yeah. Well, what would we have done? And I don't know if we have an answer right now, but uh, you know, I, I I think it's the calm before the storm. I think it's going to get really, really messy. I think I, I agree with you, and I think that there's there's
0: two things that, that stick out to me when it ta- when we talk about going back to the office. Uh, one of them is, you know, the downside to being remote is it's very difficult to create a culture. It's very difficult to create a collaboration atmosphere. It's not impossible. I mean, there's technology tools that are you know beyond Zoom that 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 help with these things, but it's a challenge that companies are definitely going to experience. The second thing, which is probably more important than the first, is something that uh, you know Nick's dad used to say a lot less, uh, you can't give somebody something and then take it away. And for the last year, for whatever yeah. reason, COVID or not COVID, like we allowed people to work from home and create a whole different way of working, a whole different atmosphere, their own culture, different time with their family. And now you want to pull that away. I just don't know how successful people are going to be.
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting, and- Jason, I if I could interject on that point, and that is a very good point. Um, I've heard a lot of people talking about making it the employee's choice as to whether they wanted them to come in or not, or or only making it mandatory that they come in a couple days a week rather than a, than a full week. But that is a very good point. Do they, you know, will they look for the office to be Uh, A a kind of zen place for them, given the fact that they've been trapped in their houses now for a long period of time? Do they look at work as a refuge or have they really gotten used to just working from home and being on their own schedule?
2: Yeah, there's
0: a third. I say it just depends on what's insurmountable. Um, And and, and it's going to have, the office is going to have to adapt to the employee, not vice versa, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very, very well true. There, we're going we're to see a divide in three ways. And the first two, we've already said, we're going to see a divide amongst uh, companies that require it, either they will or they won't. We're going to see a divide amongst employees. I'm comfortable working with unvaccinated people, or I'm comfortable working with unvaccinated people, divide one and two. The third divide will be by job classification. And I talked about it getting messy before. Here's where it's going to get messy um, from a culture standpoint your sales, your marketing, your finance, your accounting teams, your HR teams, they're all working offsite. I think shops are going to look at their production teams and say, I need you in the office. I need to supervise you. I need you 10 feet from my desk. Uh, I did a webinar in April of last year, and I got a question that said, what should we expect in terms of production from remote employees? And I said, I said approach it with grace. I said, you have, you know, in some cases, working moms and dads, homeschooling, Everybody's trying to figure this out for the first time. I said, if you get 60% of what you get right now, like thank them for their, for their work for you. That's not sustainable forever. And I don't think we're at 60% right now. We figured out a lot of things, but I think once the world is closer to what it was 18 months ago, I think a lot of operational people will say, come on back to the office, salespeople, you can stay home. Uh, customer support people, you can stay home. And I think that's gonna cause some clashes and that, that'll really have a detrimental impact to company culture. Well, De-
0: uh, Deb Clarfield actually asked a good question on the Q and A, what have you heard about productivity levels um, okay. of operating Yeah, I'm looking personnel. at that now. And, and I'll tell you that that's a matter of management. If management can create great K- uh, KPIs for, their yeah. operation, for operations, I, I believe that KPIs can be more significant and I believe that the production could be increased if, if the KPIs are set properly. So my opinion is, depending on what you do and what leverage you're pulling on a daily basis, if you have a great management structure in place that can provide those KPIs, I don't see why it matters where you work.
1: And, well, and listen, the big thing is, is that KPIs are shifting rapidly. So in, 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 instead of measuring somebody's hours in the office, you just want to measure them against pure production. Are they getting things done? Are they getting it done faster? Are they getting it done slower? Um, you know, how many errors do they have uh, when when they're out of the office versus in the office? Um, those are all, um, you know, things that will that will shift a little bit. Um, one other point that I'll bring up, and then I, I really do think we should address the info second uh, sec and and data yeah. security.
2: Um, and I got one more thing on KPIs too for Jason. Okay. Go ahead. Before Um,
1: I was just going to say another thing that I heard. um, Depending upon the CRA, particularly those in larger uh, metropolitan areas, they actually like the remote work because now they can hire people in locations that the wages aren't as high as what they have to pay in areas like. New York and Los Angeles and, and Chicago and you know, name your market. But um, that many of them like the fact that they can they've opened up this new pool of talent. It doesn't need to be in their local area. And again, for those that are in larger markets, they're able to find people um in, in other places.
0: Can I flip yeah, that out of head your... real
1: quick? Yeah, go ahead.
0: So and this is something I it's not a surprise. I've written about it and I've talked about it in past webinars, but you know, the whole reason, and I'm not talking about background screeners going back to work. I'm talking about every go, everybody going back to work. Background screening was created to mitigate workplace risk. Well, if there's no workplace anymore, do you care about a person that doesn't have access to property or yeah. uh, anything else to, to give somebody else a chance that has some sort of offense? Are they going to stop doing background checks? No. but. Your risk tolerance for, for those some of those crimes are a lot less.
1: It's a different kind of more. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There are, yeah. There are some, yeah. There, I, I agree with you. It is a different kind of risk. So while background screening is not going to go out of vogue, maybe the things that were important aren't as important for, for remote.
2: Yeah. yeah and, and, and Jason says something and, and Nick, then we can move on to the next slide. Um, you know, I agree. If you have strong KPIs, it shouldn't matter whether you're working from Chicago, Cincinnati or Calcutta. How many shops have we seen, this is a rhetorical question, with great KPIs? you know, I know now that we're on the outside, we get to look inside. And it's a judgment-free zone, right? But not a lot of shops have great KPIs. So that's why I think human nature is going to lead us and, and lead executives to want to pull their production teams back into the office. I think if right. you can get the security and data right, it's a mistake. But I think they're going to do it anyways.
0: But Kevin, KPIs aren't, and like, you're, you love this term, KPIs aren't created in a vacuum they're yeah. created based on data. So if yeah. the average KPI is because the average person can do it already, then you are it's not, the
2: problem isn't the KPI, the problem is the person doing it and then you just replace them. Yep, I agree, I agree. Um, it, it's very difficult to us for, for us, I think, uh, part of it's human nature, you know, you manage yep. up or you manage out. And it's just, it's hard. Again, things yep. that the three of us don't have to worry about as much anymore.
1: I, I'm gonna switch right. that data and InfoSec uh, conversation back to you guys. I, I do think it's very important. Um, is that at the beginning of the pandemic, I'm not sure how much of the InfoSec uh, and data rules were strictly enforced or whether they were flexible based on the new, uh, on, on the new normal for them. Um, I imagine by now, many companies have gotten their arms around this. What are you guys hearing? I don't, I,
0: honestly, I don't think it's as much of an issue as it was, it's now, these things are now expected. They're expected. It's almost like the Chris Rock line, you know, I take care of my kids. Well, you're supposed to, well, you're supposed to take care of your data and not having, you know, InfoSec or, you know, ISO certifications, and all these different things. Like if you don't have it, you probably shouldn't be competing in this industry
1: anyways. Oh, I don't think it's a question of having it though. It's a question. I, of course, it's always important to everybody. The question is, what did they have to change as a function of being out of the office? And, and did what they changed have an adverse effect on their ability to be able to deliver on it? Yeah. I don't know I if don't it, really I answer. don't.
2: Yeah, I think, I, I imagine, I have no firsthand experience on this, but I imagine a lot of CRAs, especially at the smaller end, uh, had to make a decision in March, April of last year that says my business or my security. And, and they chose their business. It didn't mean they threw security out the window. It just meant that they would do it in conjunction with and in parallel with. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to shut down their business for two weeks. Um, they were going to do both of those at the same time. And I think many yep. of them did it successfully. It was just more things to do in a condensed period of time. I'm not saying any shops here said the heck with security. I'm just saying they said I'm going to do this at the same time.
1: Exactly. Yep. I agree.
2: Okay. I agree. Okay. All right. Let's tackle. Let's let's tackle what we got next. All right. Legislation. So we have a unified uh, one-party control of Congress. Um, We had a good conversation about this before this call. Um, You know, Nick, do you think you're going to, any changes, and you mentioned it earlier, they're going to be legislative, they're going to be regulatory, they're going to be executive action. What do you think?
1: Uh, Well, I think for where we are right now in terms of basically a 50-50 Senate, um, that you're not going to see a lot come through the legislative branch. Um, There is one thing that came up recently recently. Uh, that I'm interested in talking a little bit about, and that is a national <laughs> ban the box provision. Um, do you want me to jump into that now or, yeah. or save that for? Yeah, so um, you know, I don't know how far along it is, but it has been proposed that there would be a national ban the box ordinance. Um, the good news, I guess, for background screeners is if it is strictly a ban the box where you can't ask that question on the job application. Um, I think, and, and and nothing else. Then I think our industry welcomes that because now we don't need to worry about ten thousand different laws and different rules. Um, if it is, uh, if it is, it creates more curveballs for employers, and therefore creating those curveballs for CRAs. Um, that, of course, could be problematic. Um, the idea of having one set of rules, though, just like the FCRa. Uh, having one set of rules is always preferable to having, again, 10,000 of them. Um, so uh, I'll be interested to see where that goes. Do you guys have any thoughts?
0: I just wonder, you know, usually um, uh, there's preemptions for state laws that are more uh, strict than federal laws. So I just wonder if it's going to complicate it even more. But
1: uh, yeah, um, that's, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. But but who who knows? Knows? I mean, Plus. Yeah. Right.
0: I, I yeah. don't I don't know that you're going to see I, I doubt you'll see any uh, executive actions or legislation passed. I would be more concerned about, you know, the tipping point of the EOC with having more Democrats on the commission um, and then passing rules
2: uh, like in, in 2012. In yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, and, it's, and it's the chatter that's scary. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I and, and so that's that's a good segue, um, Jason, into where I do see it. And I and I do see it in the bureaucracy side. That's where things can change. Um, you mentioned the EEOC um, you know I feel like and I might be wrong about this but you know 2012 their their guidance change um, that was a pretty big one for them um, and I'm not sure what more they would want to do I'm sure there are other things they'd like to do but I don't know um, what they actually would um, I do see the CFP, be sorry, CFPB getting active again, um, like it was under the Obama administration. Um, we've had four years, um, and uh, whether you like this or don't like this, of uh, the bureaucracy kind of not really touching this at all. Um, and yeah. I would see more um, investigations and infor- enforcement activities um, by the CFPB um, coming to a theater near you. Yeah. Um, so and and.
2: And so, something I'm, I'm looking at pretty closely, and, and I think I'm in the minority opinion on this, um, maybe amongst the three of us, but but certainly the people here. You know, $15 minimum wage, I tend to think of minimum wage, minimum impact. Um, if your shop is spending $13 and you're worried about going to $15, I think we've got a lot bigger problems, a lot, lot bigger fish to fry. I'm not judging that particular organization, but I'm saying if, if that is what's gonna put us under the table, then I, 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 that's, you know, that's, that's the thing that kills you. It's not the thing that got you sick. Um, my bigger, my bigger concern is, yeah, my bigger concern is if you're at 16 and everybody else goes to 15, now you got to go to 21. Yeah, go ahead.
0: I agree with you a thousand percent, but what I'll disagree with you with with is this, the person making $13 an hour, the floor then is $7 and 65 cents an hour. So they're making almost double minimum wage. Yeah. Okay. You raise the floor. And you don't just take that thirteen to fifteen; you take that thirteen to twenty or twenty-five. That's,
2: and, that's exactly what yeah, exactly. In order to stay competitive,
0: So that's that's what scares me about it. And and this is an industry that's been automating every manual process they they've could for the last couple of years. As it is, um, it's going to have an impact on employment in the industry.
1: Guys, look, th- there's no two ways about it. Is that when you raise the costs, uh, then something has to give, right? Um, so, if, if you have significant costs in an industry that has been cutting prices and been—I I won't say racing to the bottom. That's that's probably really uh, uh, over melodramatic. Uh, but I will say that that is the trend. That it is becoming highly commoditized, and um, and that pricing is important. If now my infrastructure cost changes at some point, I either have to absorb that and not make as much money, uh, or I have to pass those costs along to my client. Um and so um this industry has not raised rates in a very long time. Um and I don't know whether you know the industry can do that or not. I guess if everybody did it, um you know yeah. you, you you can. Uh but <laughs> That's called collusion. I <laughs> I know. I know.
2: <laughs> and I'm the door no- right and I'm the, I'm always the door number 3 guy, right? I agree with a lot of the things we're saying, you know, I tend to look at our staff and our organization. Yeah, Jason, you're right. More things are going to be automated. This will accelerate the pace of automation. But, you know, we're talking about it from the standpoint of business owners. Um, I think back to that idea around KPIs, if we manage and measure right, you know, um, I want people that are able to produce more and I'm happily willing to pay them more for it. I do yeah. agree that going from 16 to 24 without any change in performance standards or productivity, that's a, that's a huge problem. Exactly. Yeah. That, that'll That'll put us under. Uh, I want to do both at the same time. I just want to build a better team, while you know, comedy accommod- or you know, uh, incorporating the new rules. But yeah, we're we're nowhere near it, anyways. So, um, and, and, yeah, that, that's just, I think there's I think there's more smoke than fire around it.
1: And and just to kind of close that off a little bit, um, I, I agree with the fact that KPIs have to change. But if you demand more out of somebody and they're producing more work. Then you need less people in order to produce it, and yes. you have more volume coming in. So that could be an impact. Another potential impact. Um, I know that this has been kind of a taboo um, thing to talk about in the industry. You know, a lot of the a lot of the larger players do it, but offshoring um, and 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 using uh, resources overseas um, could pick pick back up again. Um, and I'm not viewing that as a a good or bad thing. I'm just saying that. That is a likely result of something like this.
2: Next slide. I'm really excited to talk about it because I think the three of us have, um, you know, not not only some really insightful views, but there's a couple of things that, that we disagree on. Um, you couldn't wait to talk about for... offshoring, could you? No, no, it's OK. Uh, you know, my, my wife. Um, runs a marketing communications company and her HR person transitioned out. So right now she's getting all those phone calls. I get to live vicariously through the calls that she gets. Um, the one thing I've noticed that we didn't plan to talk about, but I'll share. She gets mortgage verification and employment verification calls. The Mortgage verification calls are so much better. They're so much a higher quality than the employment verification calls. And it's just interesting to think through, um, you know, Clients save money by offshoring, and listen, we've worked with great people in Mumbai and people that weren't very strong ten feet from our desk. So, you know, th- this isn't this isn't geographic opinion, um, but quality's quality. And if you get great, get great quality halfway across the globe, then fine. So you need what you need, but you know, I, I think of the impact to the clients that that are on the receiving end of just poor service again, whether it's onshore or offshore. And it's impactful so sometimes organizations are a little you know pennywise pound foolish um jason you you shared some real interesting thoughts in our prep on this um why don't why don't you kick off this slide kevin you came through kind of pixelated is that just me hearing that or i
0: Nick, think that you, I, you jason okay. okay um yeah i mean i i think that money is going to significantly change the landscape of the background streaming industry even more so than it has in the last couple of years um, we are seeing uh, a ton of private equity getting reacquainted with the industry, uh, reinvestigating the industry. They took a break uh, for, for a while. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of activity there. We're seeing a lot of activity with private equity that owns background screening companies today and are trading those off after the five year, you know, pretty much hold that they've had on there. So there, there is significant um, investment happening in the industry today. I know four or five deals going on right now. Uh, some of them are, are very, very large. Um, so that's going to keep happening, um, and every time that happens, there's a whole new cycle of consolidation that that seems to to go on. So um, I, I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting because aside from from buying the companies that they're buying, they are also investing in those companies. So they're not just you know they're not just buying it. They're they're spending lots of money to retool their um, technology to find more synergies with the acquisition. Um, and that, and that takes dollars and that takes innovation and they're all doing it. So the companies that are kind of sitting by and watching are, are really, um, not in a good position right now because they're not thinking of those things. Um, we see it on the recruiting side. Um, it's very easy to have a conversation with a private equity backed CRA that you've got great talent for them because they know that paying a recruiter is going to get you, you're pretty much going to get it right the first or second time and not the fifth or sixth
2: time. So, I, I see that that last piece. I see a ton, Jason. Um, I know we all three of us will get outreach weekly, if, if not daily. Hey, do you know anyone? Hey, do you know anyone? Hey, who's looking? Um, and when you get it wrong, the only thing that changes is the calendar. It's a super easy way to burn money. Nothing changes. You, you, you go to the recruiting end, you're buying a result. You're, ju- you're just solving your problem faster, solving it faster, yeah. more efficiently. So I, I agree with you on that front.
0: Yeah, I mean, Nick, if, I, if, I'm investing in the, if I'm investing in the space, I'm looking yeah. at every single thing that I can find a synergy with uh, and every single thing that I can think forward with. Um, you know, what new, pr- vaccination tracking is, a, is just a great example. I don't know if anybody's made any money on the vaccination tracking in this industry uh, or any of the COVID stuff that they developed in this industry this year. Um, but again, it's, it's a new way of looking at something. You have a captive audience and a, and a captive uh, um, uh, client set. And now you've got new products to offer them because you've invested in that. And that's where I see that the biggest change is happening.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, you brought up the the vaccination thing and it, I don't know that it perfectly fits under this category, but I know it is something we intended to talk about uh, and just missed it earlier. I, uh, you know, from a vaccination standpoint, um, I have been really interested to see if this industry plays any kind of a role in verifying that kind of thing. Um, and, um, You know, I've just heard from a lot of people that um, that they don't necessarily think that there's not one centralized database um, from which to pull this information. And um, as Greg Dubecki from Corporate Screening uh, told me and showed me, you know, this is now the proof that you have. We don't know if there's any centralized database for that. Um, So um, I I was I was very excited to pursue it, but it kind of seems like it's maybe not right in the line of what this industry would yeah. do. And, and you,
2: you know what? Go ahead,
0: Jason. Uh, go ahead. I, I, I want to make one point on the first bullet point here.
1: Okay. Uh, well, yeah, that's and, good because so, I was going to do that too. Good. <laughs> as was I. So we're all thinking the same way. Go ahead, yeah. Jason.
0: So, I mean, sellers coming back to reality. I, I, first of all, one of the biggest issues that most CRAs have is private equity calls all the time. What they don't realize is they're fishing. I mean, most most of the calls that you get, they have junior associates. They're pounding the phones to every background screening company every single day. They make you think they actually want to buy you, but they they're they're fishing. They're just trying to, to 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 increase their pipeline. And but what it, it, it overvalues what most owners think that their company is actually worth. I keep hearing it. I mean, I want two th- two times revenue or three times revenue. It's never going to happen. Every single deal. That happens in this industry is an EBITDA based deal. Now, yep. EBITDA and revenue could, you know, you could make the on the CRA side, and I would on
1: experience. the CRA side, yeah, okay. yeah, on the
0: CRA side. Okay. Um, and you know, the, the the best way to look at this is these companies that make these purchases, these private equity firms that make these purchases too, they go out and get debt for this. Usually, you can't go to a lender and say, "I'm paying three times revenue for this CRA that throws off." you know, 10% or 15% cash every single year, nobody's gonna loan you the money. So it's not just a matter of what somebody wants to pay, it's what somebody has the ability to even pay or go back to their shareholders or anything else to pay for a company. So I think it's important that a lot of sellers today get a lot more realistic about what their business is actually worth.
2: Yeah, I've I've long said, you know, even with a lot of money sloshing around the globe, interest rates really low, people looking for yield, the laws of math and finance still apply. Yep. Um, I, I was asked last year, man, like it's a bad time. Corona, nobody's hiring. Are we going to see a lot of M&A activity? And I said, no. I said, because sellers are going to value their business as what it was eight months ago, not what it is now. And yep. buyers are going to look at the business as it is now and not know what it's going to be three to five years in the future. I said, so you're just going to see everybody dance around each other. I said, when yep. you start to see m and is when either firms run out of uh, runway when they just don't have the cash to operate anymore Um, or both side, you know, the sellers, you know, Jason, to your point, they just get more realistic about what their, what their business is worth.
1: Yeah. And and again, it's the same thing we've been saying for the last 15 years or so as as it, as it comes to M&A, not every background screening company is created equal. Some are going to be worth heavier multiples on, on top of EBITDA. For various reasons. Maybe you have a particular niche. Maybe you have a piece of technology that nobody else has. Uh, but if you're just selling a book of business, it's a whole other story. And and um, and and you're not gonna see the same kind of multiples yep. that you've seen, you know, some of the larger ones get.
0: Go to your One go of, to your whiteboard and you tell me how somebody's gonna make money off of acquiring you paying that price. Mm-hmm. You you show me that math equation
2: and and yep. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> right. Otherwise, I'm gonna sit on a bark stool and make my 10% mailbox right. money. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know one, one thing that's here that we haven't talked about yet I'm sure a lot of people are, are waiting for it uh, private equity funding class actions they see litigation as a profit center. Why don't you share some more about that Jason? Uh, actually that was Nick's point. I, I have not heard a ton about yep. that
1: Yeah so I'm you know just starting to hear about it is that um, is that private equity is is beginning to back a lot of class action uh, law firms so that they can advertise and find, uh, the, um, you know, enough plaintiffs to be able to build a, a significant uh, class. Uh, and so um, I have not heard it specifically for the background screening industry, but look at the money that's uh, been generated as a result of these suits. It's only a matter of time until that starts hitting um, some of the attorneys and, uh, and, 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 and plaintiffs in our industry, I believe.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think I think our takeaway then, is we as we move to the next slide, money's always looking for a home, and, and our space is no exception. Yep. Okay. okay. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick off a little bit, and then we'll just uh, three of us will discuss. You know, hey, some of the paradigm shifts, right? We've 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 discussed in in our space. Um, operations has to align with marketing. You know, our salespeople are out there, our marketers are out there talking about what we can do. We got to make sure we can deliver on that. Um, sales efforts ramping up. If I had a down year. It's really tough for me to predict what my returning business is going to be. That predictable organic growth amongst my current client base, it's not there anymore. If if I'm doing the outdoor entertainment venue, that business went down 90%. If I have the hand sanitizer company, that went up 90%. But will it continue for 12 months? Uh, And then the last one, and I always like to riff around this a little bit um, before letting Nick and Jason chime in. I, I just think we're tired of mediocrity. You know, we're we're in a world now where we can order groceries from our couch and we can have food prepared and delivered to us without even seeing who dropped it off. We have figured it out in our world. And I think as buyers, when we experience operational or support challenges, we look at everything that we've had to work around and figure out over the last 12 months. And we're just simply not going to handle waiting three days for a phone call. We're not going to handle being on hold and being transferred four times and every 15 minutes having to start from scratch and tell the story to somebody else. So shops that I work with, I'm recommending, you know, accuracy support. That's the new turnaround time. I don't think clients notice plus or minus 3%. So I, you know, let's not kill ourselves trying to deliver 90 minute faster turnaround time. I don't think people realize it. I don't think they see it. I think they see support. I think they see errors. So these are the things that I think are going to be really, really impactful for us. The shops that do it the best are the ones that are going to win the most. What do you guys think?
0: I mean, I've been say. I mean, you didn't really actually say this, but, um, you know, I think that because of what the, the world we've been living in for the last year, and, and a lot of us have seen this that, it, that, that use a lot of subscription based services or anything else, we don't want to pick up the phone and call and find out what's going on with the background check. I think that the companies yeah. that operate their business, like Amazon, where you have, I've never called Amazon in my life and I spend a sh- a lot of money with them every single year. Yep.
1: What I know, was that word?
0: <laughs> I, I, you know, I can go on their platform and I know exactly where my product is, where exactly when I'm going to get it, all that stuff. And the first thing that people say is we can't really do that background screening. And my answer is why? I mean, why you can get close. You can, you can look at averages for turnaround times for counties and put algorithms in there to figure things out and do predictive analysis. Like yep. that's
2: the future. Yep. Yeah. I don't want to work. I don't want to work as hard as I used to to get information, and I want the information to be twice as good as it used to be. And
1: okay. and That's you it. need data regularly available, readily available to you. You should be on top of these things twenty four seven, whether it relates to your own data. You know, I had a very interesting conversation yesterday um, with Joel Passon, who is one of the original founders of Newton Software. Um, and, and he is operating a company with Steve Hazleton right now, um, called sturdy AI and what they do. And it's something that I think the background screening companies really ought to take a look at is measuring, um, uh, is measuring when a customer might be leaving when they're yeah. unhappy Um, and, and so I'm trying not to say the word sentiment because they do not deal in sentiment. They deal in real issues that are coming up, whether it's a lot of support tickets, whether it's, um, whether it's volume declining, whatever it is. Um, I think those kinds of things, CRAs really need to be looking at so that they can be more proactive, uh, in serving their customers and making sure they're taking care of their needs. Um, I know that's very tactical, but I was just, I'm very intrigued by what they're doing.
2: It matters. Okay. It's 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 the client risk matrix. It's the analog solution, which I mean, I've used for fifteen years. It's yeah, a seven, actually, Kevin, it's that's exactly what I thought about.
1: That's what I thought yep. about your your green, yellow, red thing. When he's telling me about this, he is you know they are finding ways to automate that, where you don't need to go to your customer service reps or whoever you would go to to get this information, uh, in order to do it. It just automatically comes out of the system. Yeah, that's great. Send desk, CMS, whatever it is. It's incredible.
2: Yeah, I've always said there's, you know, anytime you get a question or an ask from a buyer, you have three choices. You accommodate the request, you negotiate a middle ground that works for both of you, or you impose your solution, which is, yeah, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. How do I know which one of those three choices is right? I have to look at the totality of the client relationship. And if I don't have visibility into whether they're happy or not with the tech project we did six months ago, or the cost increase or missed record a week ago, I don't know if I'm going to make the right decision. And that, that sounds like a nice solution that you just mentioned, Nick. Yep. Yeah. The, okay.
0: the mediocrity is a good point too, because, you know, it goes back to the adage where, you know, if you do what you always did, you get what you always got. Yep. And, you know, it, for, for a C for any business, you can look at all the different metrics you want. Okay. The most important metrics is your balance sheet every single year. So I would say the CRAs look at your growth year over year for the last 10 or 15 years. And if you haven't done anything significant to change your business or do anything new with your business, that's why you've seen the growth you've seen. Um, it's it's those willing to make that additional investment in a person or whatever else it might be to move the needle more, that's where you see change. And uh, and, and mediocrity is just going to, it's it's going to be a race to the bottom for a lot of CRAs.
2: Yeah. And, and we know, the three of us know, we're not talking about invest, 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 debt, debt, debt to try and go you know, from a $10 million company to a hundred million dollar company, owners just might want to put an extra hundred grand in their pocket or increase their bottom line by 8%. You know, that, that, that's okay. So those are some of the things we're talking about too. It's not building an empire. Your, your empire could be like, Hey, I love my life. I just want to make more money. So I think Jason's point about looking at the balance sheet is a really, really good one. Nick, do you want to, um, you want to start to take us home? We hit some of the Q and a.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so a couple of things right before we get to Q&A, um, wanted to kind of share with everybody the news. I, I alluded to the band getting back together as it relates to this webinar. Um, but I uh, look for some news from Kevin, Jason, and I uh, very shortly about uh, what that means from a, a working standpoint for the three of us. Um, you know, we all love this industry. We all do, um, a, well, we all focus on this industry Uh, And we all offer complimentary services that the others don't. Um, And so we are working on a plan and a strategy uh, to bring all of these things together um, so that uh, all of our clients can get the best of what each of us does. Uh, And uh, so you should be seeing an announcement on that in the next, I don't know, 45 to 60 days, right, Jason?
0: Yeah, we're not we're not opening a CRA though. Just so we can be oh, very. Yeah, clear yeah, yeah. Yeah. Be oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry.
2: Yeah,
0: we are we're we merging. Not forbid. We, we we are we are in essence merging our three practices together as one, and uh, we'll have some some really cool information on that soon. It's not it's going to be a lot more than just consulting firm. We're gonna have a lot of cool things to offer uh, to the space.
1: Yep. Uh, and you know, of course, you'll you'll be seeing more podcasts from the three of us, more blogs um, uh, from the three of us. Uh, any upcoming, um, events, guys, you speaking at any conferences coming up soon?
0: PBSA, Kevin and I are speaking together at the PBSA, virtual PBSA conference.
1: I guess Um, I didn't get the memo on that one. Thanks for including me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're speaking, Uh, Jason and I are speaking with Dave Jeffries on sales marketing, uh, operational initiatives for, for 2021. We're looking forward to that. Great. Uh, I, I recently spoke last week, um, on criminal record providers uh, through the PBSA educational series that should be available shortly through PBSA. And uh, I'm taking this uh, webinar and I'll I'll turn it into an audio version. I'll post it on Background Check Radio, which many of you are familiar with and and already subscribed to. I'll also turn it into, um, uh, I'll put the video up on my go-to stage. So if you missed it and you're looking for the recording, you can catch it there. And the Screening News website, which I think is a great read as well.
1: Yep. okay. All right. So let's get to some of the q and um, I've seen a couple in here. There's one, uh, that, actually one of the first ones that came in. Uh, and Jimmy, thanks for asking this question. Uh, what do you see as the biggest threat to all background screening companies? Uh, I'm going to let Jason answer that first. I know, I know what I feel. Um, Kevin, I'm hoping to learn what you do as well.
0: So I think the biggest threat is I don't know any other way to put it, but the the social justice warriors, Um, I think that we are a few news stories away from background checking your employees becoming uh, less socially acceptable than it is today. The media loves to jump in on these things. Um, We're a few maybe bad background checks or a few stories away from the media jumping all over it. So what does that mean? Again, I don't want to be defeatist background checks will always exist. Companies will always screen their employees. Companies will always do criminal background checks, but it's what's important in the hiring decision that that I think will change. It's not going to change tomorrow, but it's going to change over time. So I think some of these new, um, I I might've said this in the last webinar, but like the net promoter score that, that companies use to rate companies. And the most important thing that net promoter score tells you is, would you recommend this person or this company to somebody else? Well, I think it's going to come down to employees. Like, is this somebody you would recommend? Is this somebody that would work well at this company? And everything else is a, is, is a, is a, is a number in that equation. Um, it doesn't become the most important part of the hiring process or one of the most important part of the hiring process. So that, that's what I think is the biggest threat. Um, and, you know, aside from that, it's going to be the ability to automate and, and, and put these records in, uh, out there yeah. quicker than
2: everybody else. Yep. Yep. And, and some of our, our vendors, the data providers I think are doing a really, really cool job with that, uh, making it easier for shops to obtain information and not have to have an army of processors and ops teams behind the scenes. Um, so I, I've certainly seen a lot of transition there over the last couple of years to Jason's comment. Um, I, I don't see Nick so much. And again, my, my lens, I mean, I can do the five, 10 year lens, right? But I tend to focus on the one to three year lens. Um, The threats I see in a one to three year period are not so much existential to us as an industry, but to each of us as individual businesses. And that is just the continuing war we're waging against each other to be a dollar cheaper and an hour faster. Um, I'm not convinced that companies um, won't pay for quality and accuracy and support. I think in many cases, we just uh, we think they're not going to. So we don't make the best, uh, we, we don't focus our energies on making that case. I think it's a lot easier to uh, close a deal by promising an hour faster and a dollar cheaper. But in the long run, I don't know if that's the best thing for us. I'm a big fan of swimming towards open water. Uh, the three of us have sold for 20 years really big, beefy, profitable background checks. Um, so the threat that I see is each other just continuing to beat each other up. That's what reinforces the, the, the feeling that this is a commodity product, because that's how we present it to each other. That's how we present it to our buyers. Um, I think the opportunities for those who think a little differently, but I think that the more we continue to beat up on each other, the worse it is for us as individual shops.
1: Yeah. I, I see parity actually uh, becoming yeah. an issue in this industry. Um, we have done a great job at automating a lot of things and about also uh, creating the greatest efficiencies that we probably can. Some CRAs do that on their own. And that was a kind of a a leading differentiator for a very long time. Um, But the mid to small uh, CRAs now by virtue of the vendor relationships that they have are getting, you know, again, I don't want to say it's equal to, but they are getting a lot of the toys that the big boys have had for a very long time. And so, um, that parity where everybody looks the same—it all leads into that uh, com- commoditization uh, issue, and and I love it, and I want to see the innovation, and I want to see the automation uh, continue to improve. But it is also a potential threat for the industry.
2: Yeah, bet- better, faster, cheaper. And you know, my argument is not against better, faster, cheaper. Better, faster, cheaper is always going to be a winning proposition. Better, pa- better, faster, cheaper with the differentiation that Nick talks about it allows us to, to realize premium profits. We can be good and we can be fast and we can be less expensive. Um, but now we're talking about cost structure. We're talking about positioning and, and pricing strategies. You know, we, we really can have the best of both worlds. Yep.
1: Uh, okay, here's another one. We've had a couple of questions about social media screening. Jason, I know you started to tackle this a little bit. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on social media screening? Will it be a force or is this a passing thought?
0: I think it's gonna I think it's gonna get traction, more traction every single year. I think it's important. I think it's information that people truly want to know. Is this person a good person or not? Um, is a reputation good, that kind of thing. Now can you tell that from looking at somebody's Facebook page? No. But can you look at it? Can you can you make the determination or give somebody a some sort of score based on 10 or 15 different data points? Well, yeah. So I do think that is gonna become bigger and bigger. I think that once CRAs learn how to sell it. It's going to become a very profitable product for them, um, and I do believe that it will become one of the three-legged stools of what screening is in the future.
2: Yeah, it, it's the phone call we always waited for and never got, right? Um, it, it doesn't mean that people aren't doing it; they're doing it. They're just doing it, you know, from their desks. Um, I'm and I'm, I saw this question. I'm glad you asked it. I'm, I'm moderating a panel at the Vegas Sherm Talent Acquisition Show. Uh, which is awesome in that it will probably be the first trip that I take in, (laughs) in about 18 months um, later in the year. And, and like Jason said, I think, I think we're going to see the transition go from recruiters doing it behind the desk to asking the providers to do it. Uh, I think we all expected that to ramp up five to seven years ago and it didn't, but uh, like Jason said, I I think it's inevitable.
1: Yeah. There are Um, a couple of game changers here uh, going on right now. You know, number one, I think that when you look at the capital riots, that might be one of the tipping points. You see the federal government is using a lot of social media. And of course, then you saw employers start to use it to, uh, to determine if any of their employees were there and you saw terminations happening as a result. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, if you look at what the federal government is focusing on right now, when it comes to monitoring uh, the, uh, their employees, particularly those with clearance, uh, social media background checks is top of mind right now. And if the government is doing it, and if the government you know, finds a way that they can do it in a, in, in a compliant way, employers, you know, again, first of all, I think they can be held accountable for things that they could have known, so they should have known them. Uh, and secondly, I think employers are going to start to embrace us and not be so concerned from a litigation standpoint about whether or not they can utilize it.
2: Yeah, and and you,
1: and you, I think, I think the important
0: it. word to use there, Nick, is "it." They're, are they going to do it? Well, that's the thing. Like, what does that mean? Well, on, on, at a very basic level, is that person a racist? Did they put? Did they? Did they use the wrong words on social media in the last ten years? I mean, we see it with athletes, we see it all the time. Actors, they, the stuff that resurfaces. So, I think what it is is it becomes more of a way to find out if this person has done anything that's going to embarrass
2: you. Yeah, the you know, f- five to seven years ago, back to the idea about the phone calls that never came. Uh, now we can just transmit information so much more broadly and so, so much faster. Um, you know, couldn't do Facebook Live nine years ago, and and now you can. So the audience reach is just so much greater. And I think employers will start to say, yeah, listen, Capital Riot's great example, Jason. You know, you're out there with a swastika on your shirt. Like, I'm going to fire you, come at me. Do you want to sue me? Fine, sue me for firing you for wearing a swastika and putting it on Facebook Live. I, I think that's where employers are, are are starting to go.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, looking at my watch here, we probably have time for one more question. And I would th- I think that the the uh, the most predominant among the questions that we have here are new products uh, for CRAs. Uh, what are what are you guys seeing out there? What do you think is the next big frontier? Um, we tackled social media background checks. Is there anything else you guys think?
0: I I mean I I, I disclaim it by saying that you know I, I'm an investor in some of this in the space a bit, but I will tell you that the the way you do verifications today is not going to be the way you do verifications tomorrow. That that whole product is shifting, and there's like ten or fifteen companies trying to do it. So. Uh, Call us. <laughs> we got
1: a lot. Yeah, yeah we got a lot I, I mean, I couldn't <laughs> agree more. That's the that's the one thing that my head went to as well. Um, for a number of reasons, on top of those that you're talking about, I think you know uh, finding a way to disrupt the employment verification um, or any verification suite of product is just that's that's the next frontier. Kevin, okay, what do you
2: I, mean? yeah. I mentioned being able to live vicariously through my wife when she gets these verification calls and whether it's onshore or offshore, most of these calls are absolute train wrecks. Um, and and I, I mean, I can see just as professionals doing this, the impact that has on ultimately the end user. So I agree with Jason on that. I also think of new products as, as a twofold solution. Um, it's not just about the revenue from the new product. It's being able to demonstrate to your clients and prospects, you can do something. I think that demonstrates a breadth and depth of competency where a prospect or a client can say, you know what, I really don't need those three new things they've come up with, but that looks pretty cool that they can do it. If they can do that, right. then they can do that, then they can do my stuff really well. So, so some of it is is um, you know, I want the revenue from the new products, but some of it is window dressing as well. That that's yeah. kind of cool to start seeing more I
0: I would also add to that that it, it, it's people might look at that and say, well, why would anybody invest or create these verification companies for this tiny $3 billion industry? Because it is a tiny industry compared to other industries. It's not. It's it's so much more than just this industry. It's the lending. It's the banks. It's, yeah. it's fintech. Um, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that need to validate stuff that's uh, that, that you've made the money that you say you've made. Um, so the opportunity for the person that comes out the winner in this is going to be significant.
2: Yeah. Yep. I mentioned mortgages, right. And, and the difference in quality and, and, you know, thought just popped in my head right now, but if I'm running a verifications team or if I'm struggling with the quality of my product, I mean, I'm inclined to call Quicken Mortgage and say, you know, Quicken, can your mortgage team do my verifications work? Um, cause, cause it's just, it's so much better. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's room, I think there's a room for that, those sure. players.
1: Okay. All right, guys, we're going to let that be the final word. Uh, We are uh, actually past the top of the hour. Uh, Just want to thank everybody else again uh, for joining today. Uh, We really appreciate the support. Um, We appreciate your interest in what we're talking about. Um, If you have other topics that you'd like us to address or that you'd you'd like to see in future webinars, please reach out and let us know. Um, And uh, we'll all be in touch very soon. Uh, Take care. Thanks, Jason and Kevin. I appreciate
2: it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, guys.
1: Bye-bye.